Well, we are glad and thankful to have John Crosby with us. He's all, where'd he go? There he is. <laughs> the RUF campus minister at the University of Memphis. He's been there for the last three years. He's been uh, all over pastoring and been in the ministry for a w- long time. And he and his wife, Trina, have been married for 20 years and they have three boys. And he is another one of those guys that uh, I've been looking forward to getting to know now that we live in much more close proximity to one another. And so very thankful to have you this morning, John, as you bring God's word to us. Yes, Thank you, brother. Good morning. Can I, can I just quote, I don't know if I might lose some of you, but, but Chris Farley, the late Chris Farley, um, that was awesome. Like that was incredible. Um, and I got to sit on the front row. It was a little awkward at first, um, but, uh, it, it was awesome. Thank you for, for that. That was incredible. Um, I do, I do just want to just say thank you also for, for your support of RUF at Memphis. Uh, it has, I'm just finished my third year and it's just getting sweeter and sweeter. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of really neat things and our, our group is starting to look like the university of Memphis. Uh, and it's been really a lot of fun. Just continue to pray for us as we can continue on that endeavor. And, uh, but if you want to, if you want to sit down with me, have some coffee sometime, talk about how you want to even join us and partner with us, uh, cause it's that time of year. Just, I'd love to talk to you. Um, feel free to reach out to me. We are going to be uh, in Luke chapter 18 this morning. And again, one of the, the great things I get to do, because I just get to come in, I get to pick whatever I want to do. Um, and so I, I, we're, we're jumping in Luke 18, this parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's in your bulletin. Let me read this for you. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like these other men, these extortioners, these unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. You know, it's, it's truly amazing how often Jesus Christ teaches on mercy actually throughout the Gospels. It's, it's really tru- truly amazing how Jesus teaches mercy in the face of unrighteousness and also how he's trying to preach to and get under the skin of those people who are, who are trusting um, in their own righteousness, who are confident in their own righteousness. And he is constantly coming back to this lesson over and over and over again, because apparently it's a hard lesson to learn. We all play the game of trying to think well of ourselves, right? We all play that game. The game of trying to establish our own righteousness. 
the game of being confident in ourselves. It's the game of trying to be good enough. It's the game that I can't quit. And it's a game that sticks very close to me. It's, it's kind of like going hunting with someone who thinks he's a hunter because he had a BB gun when he was a child and maybe shot a few little birds in his grandmother's backyard. Um, that was me. I was that guy. Uh, years ago, when I was in seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, a friend of mine asked me if I hunted. And, and of course, I said yes, because all real men hunt, right? And so I was like, yeah, I hunt. And I was recalling the baby birds. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I've killed my few. I've, I've had that experience. And, and so he asked me to go on this duck hunt with him. And, uh, and I was like, sure, let's do this. I had no camouflage. And so my MO and my wife is still mad about this. I went out and bought camo. Uh, I wanted him to think that I I knew what I was doing. So I went out, I bought all the gear. I looked like I was like from Duck Dynasty, showed up. I borrowed someone's shotgun um, and uh, showed up and it was this great thing. We got on these four wheelers and cracked through the ice and made it to this, this duck blind and we're sitting there and in the dark, everybody was loading their guns and I was trying to figure out how to load my gun and, and, and my friend looked over at me and he was, he was like, hey, do you do you know how to load that gun? And I was like, oh, I'm not used to this model of shotgun. And so he showed me how to load it. And then the day broke and, and, you know, birds were coming. And then all of a sudden everyone jumps up and, and I jump up like at the end and, and I pull up my gun like this, like, like this and try to shoot and everyone else fires and mine didn't go off. Safety was on sit back down you know everybody was like high-fiving and I'm kind of like oh yeah that was great and (laughs) sat back down and my friend leaned over to me and asked me do you do you hunt and I said absolutely not no idea what I'm doing let me tell you like it was liberating to just stop pretending it just stopped acting like I knew what I was doing to be, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be good enough. Uh, I, I wanted to think well of myself. But I can't quit this game of trying to think well of myself. But I must. T.S. Eliot calls this the, game, the endless struggle of thinking well of ourselves. The endless struggle of thinking well of ourselves. Let me ask you a question this morning. How are you doing in your life? How are you doing in your life? When you, when you look in the mirror, when you really are honest about who you are, like what do you see in the mirror? Do you measure up? This parable is about two different folks. One is playing this game of trying to be good enough. And the other one is this quitter. Like this other one just gives up. One is a slave of the game of trying to think well of himself and establishing his own righteousness, his own goodness, and the other one just quits. This may be the first time you've ever heard of quitting in in a positive sense. He has quit the game of trying to be good enough. And it's the quitter that Jesus says goes home justified. The one that is a slave of thinking well of himself doesn't go home justified. 
Because everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, I'm not a very, I've been here a couple of times, and you know I'm not a very creative point person. And here's my, here are my four creative points for you today. We're going to briefly look at the setting, pretty creative. Then we're going to consider the Pharisee. And then we're going to look at, guess what, the tax collector. And then we're going to do an application. Pretty creative, right? So we're going to look at those, those four points this morning. But let me say this before we jump into that very creative outline. Look, if you believe the truth, if you believe the truth about our sin and listen to the truth about who we really are, and if you really look into those places in your life um, that you don't want to admit, let me ask you this. Is the mercy of God going to be enough for you? Is the mercy of God enough for you? I'm talking about those sins that you think like, that can't be forgiven. Is there enough mercy for you? And let me tell you this morning, there is. There is. There's actually enough mercy for you. And, and God's love really is. What is that song, the incredible song with the awesome clapping? Um, it, was, uh, it is that magnificent and marvelous and it's matchless. It really is that. It's ridiculous. It's scandalous. It's big for it's 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 big for great sinners. His mercy is that great. Let's look briefly at the setting. The setting in this parable is public worship at the temple. Going up to the temple to pray was this expression that refers to public worship and not private devotions. There were like these two services daily at the temple. Uh, where a lamb would be sacrificed. And as the sacrifice was taking place, um, as, 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 as the sacrifice was taking place, uh, worshipers would gather and they would pray. Um, and there was this clear rec- recognition by devout Jews anyway, that our prayers must be offered through sacrifice. And it could be likely if you could like enter into this parable and imagine these two guys praying at the temple. It could be very likely that as, as, as these guys were praying, that the, that the smell of burnt animal flesh and ash filled the air from these sacrifices. And Jesus is teaching people, and Luke gives us this narrative in verse 9, and he says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This could be the Pharisee up until this point. Like, if you just stop there, it could be this Pharisee or it could be anyone who fit that category. This is a description of religious people. Of people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated everyone else with contempt. One is playing the game of trying to be good enough. One who's thinking well of himself and establishing his own righteousness. And then Jesus immediately puts such a person on center stage and calls him the Pharisee in verse 10, which brings us to my second point. Who were the Pharisees? Who were these guys? Let's talk about these guys for a little bit. Those of us who grew up in the church uh, usually think of them kind of negatively. Right? You, you didn't want to be called a Pharisee on the church playground. Like It was kind of negative. But they were like, they were highly revered and respected in their day. They were seen as the epitome 
of holiness by the people of their day. We must be aware of just dismissing them as these hypocrites. Being a Pharisee didn't have the negative, kind of, not the negative connotations that it does in our day. They were known for, for their scrupulousness of like, is that a word? Of their attention to the details of following the law. Um, they, to the extent that they would build other laws around the law to keep themselves from breaking the law. That's who they were. Consider his body language as he prays. The Pharisee comes to public worship and he takes part in these prayers and he stands far off to do so. Literally, the Greek says he stood to himself and prayed. He doesn't want to associate himself with real sinners, thus making him like unclean. They regarded like they really they really regarded themselves um, like separating themselves from others sinners to be one of their like chief marks of their piety um the pharisees really did act this way jesus is not exaggerating they would stand far off to avoid brushing up with with a sinner thus making them unclean and then think about his prayer a little bit like normally a a pious devout jew in his prayers he would thank god for his gifts um, and ask God to meet his needs. But this God does neither one of those things in his prayer. This prayer is more kind of like a statement. God, this is who I am. And I thank you I'm not like these other men. I thank you I'm not like these robbers or these evildoers or these tax collectors. Or even all these bad people. And he is like listing off the people uh, who were the known losers of the day. The people who had bad reputations and everybody knew it. The black sheep in your family. People who had robbed and maybe gotten caught. People who have abused drugs. People who had blown it in their life. And he has given this list of these people. And he prayed, I thank you, Lord. I'm not like them. Thank you. And that was his prayer. Let me ask you this question. Like, what does it mean to be a slave to something? What does it mean to be a slave to something? My simple definition would be this. It is something that owns you. It's something that owns you. This Pharisee is a slave to how he measures up to others. He's a slave to it. It owns him. You know you're a slave to the game of thinking well of yourself when your identity comes from comparing yourself to someone else, or your identity comes from who you're not. Let me say that again. Like, you know you're a slave of the game of thinking well of yourself when your identity comes from comparing yourself to someone else, or your identity is based in who you're not. Why? Because there's always someone better than you. You know that? Like, there's always, because you can always compare yourself to someone else that you're better than. Um, that your life is not as filthy as, your family is not as broken or messed up as, or crazy. But guess what? There's always a family that is better than your family. But guess what? Um, there's always someone better than, better than you, and that reality actually owns you and consumes you. This is why we're slaves. 
There's always someone doing more and there's always someone who looks better, who's achieving more, but there's always someone doing less, right? There's always someone doing less and it's this never-ending struggle of trying to do enough of comparing yourself to others to make yourself righteous. And let me, let me, let me bust your bubble this morning. If you're, you're, you're sitting there and thinking, I'm almost there. I'm going, I'm almost, I'm, I'm about to arrive. I'm about to arrive to that place. Um, look, there will never be a time when you can look at yourself and you can say, I've done enough. I'm good enough. And now God will accept me. It won't happen. And the more and more you try, the more and more bitter you become, And the more self-righteous you become, because you're a slave to it. This Pharisee wasn't a bad guy. Like, he really believed his prayer. He really probably thought, my prayer is helping these people. You have to see that anyone that would have heard his prayer would have agreed with him. Would have thought, yeah, like, that is so right. That's a great prayer. Amen, Father. And, and maybe, have you ever been in those prayer groups where people are praying and someone's like, gives that, mmm. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and like, this guy's praying. I'm, I'm sure there are people in the crowd going, man, I thank you. I'm not like those people. And he's like, they're like, mmm. Amen. That's <laughs> so, so true. Thank God. I'm not like these other people, these robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers, or even this tax collector. Mm. The Pharisees were moral people. They had power and respect in the community, but they were people whose entire identity was based in who they weren't. And he's a slave because he is always comparing himself. Another reason this Pharisee is a slave is because he is full of religious activity. And that is what he's trusting in. He's trusting in that, and that's what owns him. If they had social media outlets back then, like this Pharisee's like social media outlet out, outpost or however you say it, outlets would be like blowing up. His Snapchat would be like of him like fasting. Check me out. I'm not eating this cheeseburger. I don't know. However, you would take a picture of yourself fasting. Um, of course, I have no idea. Or him like dropping money in the offering plate and tithing. Click. Instagram. He would be blowing up. He tells God and he tells all those around him because Jews prayed out loud that he is doing more than God required. God said, God had said through Moses to fast once per week. This God does it twice. The law required tithing only of certain things. This guy gives a tenth of everything. If anybody could be justified or made acceptable or right by his own righteousness, it would be this Pharisee. He's doing all this stuff and some more. He's the all-star. He is crushing it. But here's the problem with religious activity. There's always something more to do. There's always something more to do. There's always someone else who is doing more than you. 
And so it's this never ending and it owns and it consumes you and you can never do enough stuff. And you're never going to do enough religious stuff to make you right. I am not saying the, the religious stuff that we do is bad. We should be doing these things. We should be fasting and tithing and praying. They're essential things. But we can make good things ultimate things. And when those things own us and we trust in those things to make us righteous or acceptable, we don't need Jesus anymore, do we? And that's where this Pharisee is. That's that's where this Pharisee is right now. He is trusting in his own righteousness. And all his religious activities make himself to make himself acceptable. Instead of submitting to the only one that can make you righteous. Jesus, it's Christ alone, right? David Dickinson on his deathbed, when he was asked, how was it with his soul? He said, I've taken, I've taken my bad deeds and I've taken my good deeds. And I've thrown them together in a heap and I fled from them to Jesus. And then he said, in him I have peace. Have you fled from the evil of your own righteousness to steal a phrase from George Whitfield? It's, what you, it's your own righteousness that is evil because it's what, it's what keeps you from Jesus. Isaiah put it this way, our, our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in this sight. Guys, it's only, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, only the robe of Christ will do. Only Christ's robe will do. So let's look at this, let's talk about this tax collector. Who's this guy? The tax collector was considered a thief and a traitor because he worked for the Romans. You couldn't get much lower on the social scale than this guy. They were the smucks of society. The Romans sold the office of tax collector to the highest bidder who would pay the taxes for the, for the region and then have the freedom to get as much as he could from the people. They had sold out to the other side. Um, they stuck it to their own people and they continually dealt with Gentiles, which always made them dirty and unclean. Today, this guy would be the drunk. It would be the guy or girl with loose morals. It would be the gossip, the one who loves money and will do anything to get it. It would be the ambitious one who loves the good life. The cheater, the partier, the misfit, the outcast. The one who smells. The awkward, the judged, the unwanted. Like, do you know people like that? The marginalized, some because of their choices in life, but, but some just because of who they are. This man's approach to the temple must have been like a walk of shame because of just, just because of who he was. He has nothing to offer, and he knows that he's totally unworthy. He stands far off. He stands far off, but not because he wants to stay undefiled. He feels totally unworthy. And he is, and he beats his breast to show it. Like, that is an extraordinary gesture 
in that, in, for a man in that society. In fact, the only other place in the whole entire Bible where men uh, beat their breast was at the crucifixion. His body language shows that he is in utter despair. He has no hope in his own righteousness at all. His prayer, verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he did not look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, the sinner. Not a sinner, literally, it reads the sinner. He calls himself the sinner. God have mercy on me, the sinner. He's not comparing himself to the Pharisee. He's not comparing himself to anyone else. He just cries out for mercy. Not looking to the right or looking to the left, but to God's great mercy alone. His prayer is a quotation from Psalm 51, 13. And if you remember, the same psalm says that the sacrifice that God desires is a, is a broken spirit and contrite, repentant heart. The Greek word used here for mercy is this word atonement. Like he is asking God to make atonement for him, to make him right. The sacrifice of the lamb, remember, is going on right in front of these two guys in this parable. But the tax collector is the only one who realizes the importance of it. He alone pleads for mercy based on the atonement, based on the spilt blood for him. The Pharisee feels no need for atonement because he's already righteous. This is what Jesus Christ is saying in common language in this parable. He's saying like, This man who I want you to be like is saying that he is a loser. He is saying that he's a failure and he is admitting it publicly. And all he is doing is crying out for mercy. He is not comparing himself. Jesus is saying, be like that guy. Be like him. Think about how great it would be not to compare yourself to other people around you. Like how awesome would that be? How great it would be not to hate, some for, hate someone for what they have or because of what they have done or if they're better than you or not as good as you. How great it would be just to stop all that and confess, I am here and I am a mess. I'd like to admit to you that I am a man uh, and I actually do hunt now because I have three boys. Uh, we do hunt and uh i know how to load a shotgun now but i also love musicals i love musicals um and you can judge me if you want to um but i but but i love musicals and uh my family bumps in our car to the greatest showman quite a bit sing it loud but my favorite my favorite musical is les mis love that musical um it tells a story of a man named jean valjean who served 19 years of hard labor for a crime of stealing bread and when he finally is released valjean is this hardened tough ex-convict but one day his life is transformed by forgiveness and near the end of the story 
um, after like keeping his past uh, from those who knew him, he sings this, this song, and I won't sing it, but I'll read it. He says, who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before? And must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? How can I, how can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? I am Jean Valjean. And there's an old version of this, like black and white, where he stands before the court. And as he's saying, who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. He begins to unbutton his shirt and reveal, open, pull up in his shirt. And there's a tattoo. And he says, who am I? This, ban- this man bears no more guilt than you. Who am I? 24601. And when he does that, when he, even in all the other movies, when, you cut, when he sings that, you can feel like the liberation of just being, I'm on, this is who I am. This is who I am. You feel the freedom that he felt and the honest, just of, of, of just quitting having to hide. Tim Keller says the great irony of the gospel is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit that you are completely unworthy of it. The irony of the gospel is the only way to be worthy of it is to admit that you're completely unworthy of it. The Bible over and over again tells us that God delights in showing mercy. He delights in it. God delights in showing mercy. I feel like a verse that I share a lot with students on campus just because they don't get that. I have to, even, I don't, sometimes I don't get it, <laughs> that God really delights in me. My favorite verse, Isaiah thirty eighteen. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exhausts himself to show mercy to you. He delights in showing mercy. That's who he is. That's what he's like. You know what I delight in? I delight, I delight in my children. I delight in my boys. Um, I love watching them play ball. I, I take pictures of them, put them on. I, I blow up my social media with my pictures of my boys so my parents can see and people can see, like, look how awesome my kids are compared to yours. Yeah, I do that. I love it when they make a tackle. When they pitch a good game. But here's what Jesus Christ is saying about God in this parable. He's saying, stop playing games. Stop trying to establish your own righteousness. And come to terms with who you really are. And cry out for mercy. Jesus says, let me tell you something about my father. He loves to show mercy. He loves it. He delights in it. Let me close with this point, application. Why is it so hard to quit the game of thinking well of ourselves? Why is it so hard? For starters, it means giving up control, right? To appeal to or to say mercy is this like, I give up word, right? It's this this rock bottom term, mercy. Remember that game when you were kids? Um, 
I guess because we didn't have playing cards around or whatever, and we were just bored, and you would grab your friend's hands and you'd grip them, and you'd like, and play Mercy, right? You ever play that game? Am I just totally... We have, we have iPhones now, whatever. We don't do that. But, but we'd play this game. We'd grab our hands until you'd bend it back until the other person said, Mercy! Like, I'm, I quit! I'm done! Give up. It's a give up word. It's so hard to quit because we want control over our lives. The Pharisees like control over their world and their religion. And this Jesus person has taken all that away with this mercy business and given it to messed up people, these losers, these quitters. And he is saying it's mercy or it's nothing. It's mercy or nothing. And this is good news. It's hard to quit the game of thinking well of ourselves because of fear of really being known, right? We, we don't like, we're in the South. We don't like to be known for our junk to be exposed. We all look good on the pew right now. We're all dressed up pretty good. But to admit that you don't have it all together, fear of being known, to admitting like, you struggle, that's hard to do. To admit sin, to admit your failures as a parent, to be real about your struggles and your fears and to admit your marriage difficulties. It's hard to do. But you can come clean before God. If Jesus is saying anything in this parable, he's saying you can actually, you can actually come clean before God. He delights in showing mercy to you. Only one guy in this parable went away justified. And it's not the one the hearers would have expected. You see, the Pharisees' idea of repentance was one where you had to make you had you had to make amends to really repent. You had to clean yourself up and then repent. But the tax collector, he is justified without doing any of this. He is justified solely by the mercy and by the atonement. And it's only those who humble themselves that will receive God's solution that can be justified and made right. What's God's solution? It's Jesus. Who was and is the perfect sacrifice. He delights in showing great mercy to big sinners. I'll close with this quote, George Whitfield, another great quote he says if you if you if you have never felt the deficiency of your righteousness of your own righteousness you can never come to jesus let that sink in if you've never felt the defense deficiency of your own righteousness you can never come to jesus he delights in showing great mercy to big sinners let us pray Father, we do thank you for you really are a God who waits to be gracious to us, who delights in showing mercy. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to believe the reality of your gospel, what Jesus accomplished for us. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for what this table represents. Father, we thank you for for Christ. 
in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.